Alex. listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, brand new, from Budokan, from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, their tune, Hey Wheels! Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Skinny Puppy, but we're also joined on the phone by, hello, caller. Are you there? Hello, caller. I am present. Who are you? Uh, my name is Torn Atkinson, and I am the lead singer for The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. And Torn, who else is in The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, operating since 1992? true. People in Vancouver have had since 1992 to get to know The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, and I'm sorry to ask you, but... Who are in the darkest of the hillside thickets, aside from yourself, Torin? Uh, I accept your apology. Um, the guitarists, we have two at the moment. There is Warren, who is one of our founding members. We have Mario, who has been with us for a few years now, doing a stand-up job. Jordan, of course, is on drums. And Merrick, my brother, is the bassist. And most important, Torin of Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, did you ever meet Gary Gyax from Dungeons & Dragons? Oh, you know, I never did meet Gary Gygax. Uh, I met Peter Atkinson, though. He's, uh, he was the uh, publisher of Magic, The Gathering, the card game. So I think that's kind of a close second, maybe. Yeah? Did you have some association, though, with the Dungeons and Dragoons? Well, I've been an illustrator for many years, so I've certainly uh, drawn many swords and sorcery-type um, wizards fighting dragons and all that kind of thing over the past 10 years or so. Because Gary passed away, I think, a few years ago. And I know, I, it's I, sad. I, I loved his name. I know I pronounce it. Is it Gary Guy Gax, or how do you as, pronounce it? As far as I know, that is correct. Because I didn't 
really know much about the game. I had all the books, but I just loved his name. Like, his name was perfect for Dungeons and Dragons. You know, D-N-D-G-N-G. What was his background? You drew for the books. Was he getting any money because you were drawing in books? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly at what point uh, he kind of uh, phased out of the Dungeons and Dragons, but I know that uh, it was purchased by Wizards of the Coast in the in the in the late '90s, I think it was, and uh, so he wasn't doing much writing or anything by then. But uh, you know, he's a legend. He was on Futurama as a guest star, so that that speaks volumes, I think. Now, when you're doing something for Dungeons and Dragons, how do you negotiate a fair price if you're an illustrator, Torin? The reason I ask it is you'd be so excited, like Dungeons and Dragons, man! I'll do it for free <laughs> it's true that's how it was when it started but after a while you didn't like any profession you know you uh you uh, you can't survive on on uh, just the the karma the universal karma of drawing uh trolls and uh, and fairies well torrent when did you become a hard ass when did you become a tough guy that would demand what's required for a performance by your hands, i.e. playing live or drawing. When did you say, hey, you know, I think I really deserve some money? When, when did I realize that I'd paid my dues? Is that, is that... Well, I meant, when did you become tough? Like, hello, I deserve to be paid for this drawing, Mr. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever been in that position where, uh, where somebody wouldn't pay me if, if I didn't ask for it. That's exactly what I was wondering about. You were Patrick Stewart's bodyguard? You were a tough guy? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So you are a tough guy. Patrick Stewart's bodyguard. You Absolutely. drew stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, and you play in Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be a hard nose to, to be the lead singer for the Thickets, that's for sure. And also... You it's a helped, cold, cold universe. You helped introduce rock and roll band Blood Hag to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, didn't you? That's true. We brought them up for uh, for a local show, and uh, we they had we had played with them uh, in Seattle. So you know, it was a mutual trade off. It was uh, they're a great band. I love them. They're very uh, literature friendly. They sing about uh, Anne McCaffrey and H.P. Lovecraft and all those sorts of uh, nerdy authors. Had they known about you? Uh, yeah, we have been in contact with them like years ago, just in passing. I think at like Dragon Con or something, and they had they had given me a CD, and I thought it was great. And then it was wasn't until years later we actually played together. How many years did it take to find a like-minded band? Oh gosh, you know that's a good question. I'm terrible at math, so I'm going to pass on that one. Since 1992, you've been doing the HP Lovecrafting in Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, and you're doing it today in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Anime. At the Anime Evolution, yes. Very close to where you are right now. Right. Exactly. I walked through the building here at the Student Union Building in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and it's filled with all sorts of people dressed up. Could you please explain to me exactly what is going on, Torin? Uh, well, Anime Evolution is a convention. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like a comic book convention. It's kind of like a, a science fiction convention. It's all sorts of conventions rolled up in one. Anime, of course, as everyone knows, is basically um, Japanese animation. But it's so much more than that for Anime Evolution. They've, we've, they've got... Um, comics they've got role-playing games going on they've got of course as we know musical events going on uh, today and tomorrow uh it's going to be great it's a very nerdy and uh, wholesome time what do people dress up as because everybody look different is there somebody that everybody always ends up dressing up as 
Oh, that's a good question. I was looking at the, uh, they have a photo blog online already at animeevolution.com, and I saw somebody dressed up as uh, Bob the TV from Reboot. Do you remember that series, Reboot? Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they usually dress up as various uh, anime characters, you know, Naruto and Yu-Gi-Oh! and all those, uh, those, all those. And Bloodhag, referring back to them, they dress up as professors or library employees, and then they chuck out books at the audience. I yeah, love they, that. Yeah, they bring a, bring a big briefcase full of books, uh, paperbacks, old pulp novels and whatnot, and throw them out at the, at the climax of their performance. How about for Darkest of the Hillside Thickets? Have you thrown out books, or are the books too rare for you to throw out? No, no. We found uh, beaten up old copies of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, stories and, and, and novels and thrown them out in the past. We haven't done it for a while, though. Maybe we should bring that back. For H.P. Lovecraft, did he have any Canadian connections? Were there any Canadian pressings, printings of his books at all? Oh, that's a good question. I'm pro- not during his lifetime. I know that you can get, uh, you can get Canadian pressings uh, these days. Because I was trying to think, what are the connections of H.P. Lovecraft to Vancouver? And it's you! It's Darkest of the Hillside Thickets! As far as I know, it's the only one. He had stories about uh, Ithaqua, it was the Wendigo, and kind of, uh, kind of uh, the Windwalker. He was all very snowy and whatnot, but, uh, but that's kind of more in his mythos. He didn't, he didn't really explore too much into Canada. I think it was probably too alien for him, even for him, to, for him being from Providence, Rhode Island, to, to get into. Now, I might be stretching it, but I kind of think Portland, Oregon is kind of part of Canada, even though it isn't. But, you know, the Northwest, the Columbia River, maybe at one time it was part of Canada before they settled all those boundary disputes and stuff. And you played like an H.P. Lovecraft convention in Portland. So that's kind of like Northwestian H.P. Lovecraftian, isn't it? It's true. And the people in Portland are certainly as, as polite and, uh, and some may say hippie-ish as Vancouverites. So it feels it doesn't feel like we're we're going to the states when we go down to Portland. But yeah, the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival is a is a great venue, and they have full weekends. That's where I met Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. And how did he like the band? Uh, and did you go down as an artist, or did you go down as a band? Uh, we went down as a band for that one. I, I'm not even sure if he uh, if he watched our performance, but I know he prefers the classical music, so I wasn't too surprised. Even though even though we have a song about Hellboy off of our album, Cthulhu Strikes Back, and the song's called Ogdru Jihad. And you are Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. Torin, playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, as part of Anime Evolution, the big festival that is happening. And also it's going to be held at the War Memorial Gymnasium. That's where you're playing, the War Memorial Gymnasium? That's where we're playing at 9.15 sharp, so I'm told. We'll be playing for 45 minutes, and of course we'll have CDs and T-shirts there at the Anime Evolution booth. And I myself will have a table as an artist uh, in uh, the Student Union Building in Artist Alley, so uh, uh, in Artist Villa, I should say. So I'll have be selling my comic books and my illustrations and uh, other Darkest of the Hillside tickets uh, memorabilia. Now, you were mentioning the Hellboy, was it? Yes. Now, if the Hellboy is watching Darkest of the Hillside Thickets play, what sort of genre do you think you fit into? And what I mean by that is Bloodhog, Bloodhog, well, I guess that combination of Bloodhag and Tankhog from Vancouver Bridge, Columbia, Canada, because <laughs> we're doing a little retro flashback here with Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. Started, That'd be a good double bill. Started in 19... 19- Did you ever play with Tankhog, actually? No, never played with Tankhog. But when you were starting out, who were you playing with? Mystery Machine, of course, was the ground zero for you naturally. chili wackians, right? Yeah, well, uh, we shared a drummer for many years, so naturally that's a, that's a natural uh, uh, bill. But we played with, gosh, tons and tons of bands from Vancouver.
especially during the 90s. We've slowed down a bit, but... Well, what I was wondering about specifically was, like, metal events around Toronto. Meat! Oh, yes. Raw meat! Were you really on a meat metal events around Toronto compilation? We were on a compilation, the raw meat compilation, yes. That was one of our earliest uh, earliest forays into compilations. See, that's what I was thinking. Genre, metal, raw meat. And that was done by Drew Masters, Meat Magazine. It was a great magazine. Whatever happened to it? Metal events around Toronto. It moved online like everything else. You can actually go online and hear stories of Drew Masters talking about doing interviews with Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. It's like right there for you to check out Meat Magazine and you, Darkest of How did you end up on that Meat Magazine compilation there, Torrin, from Darkest of Hillside Thickets? That's a good question. I don't remember. <laughs> but we need a Meave. So the pe- we need a metal events around Vancouver, don't you think? It would really, I love it. Metal events around Toronto, metal events around Vancouver. So you didn't have trouble being accepted by the metal hordes then, if you got onto the raw meat. No, I think I think uh, we were probably. Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know if we've become less metal or more metal after the year. I can't be objective, but we're uh, we're not we're not terribly metal, which is kind of surprising. We're we're that was we started during the whole grunge period, so we still got a lot of grunge in us. But uh, I would say we're more grunge than uh, than metal. Well, you had we're a also lo- very poppy in many ways. Well, well, right, you had a little bit of that baby ran ran so far away. <laughs> what can you tell the people about your connection to Divine Industries, Alan Moy? Good old Alan Moy. Well, he's our, he, that's our record label. Still, after all these years. After all these years. He does good work for us. And he did 50 for 40. He did you guys. Who else did he help out? Uh, Vampire Beach Babes, I think, is on his label. That seems to fit in quite nicely with Dark yeah. Hillside Thickets. <laughs> I think so. Did you participate in the CITR Shindig Battle of the Bands? Because I know Mr. Machine won the CITR Shindig Battle of the Bands years ago. I know. We've been there once or oh, possibly twice in the 90s, yeah. What were you looking like at that time? Were there costumes involved? Because I love looking at your wiki on the internet and, you know, there's different sort of titles and subtitles and stuff, and one of them is costuming. I love that it says costuming, like there's a title for your band, and under it says, you know, costuming, like there's actually costuming. What did you look like back then when you competed in Shindig, and what do you look like now? Uh, well, I, we've always had costumes. We, we switch them out every couple of years, you know, so that we can get boring. Uh, like Guar, for example, you know, Gion. Um, but um, no, they've mixed it up a bit, haven't they? Uh, gosh, I, I, you know, I shouldn't even say that because I don't really know. Well, but, what do you uh, do with your costumes? Like, for instance, you compete in Shindig. What did you look like, and what happened to those costumes? And would you bring them back a couple of years later? Um, we don't usually bring them back unless you know it's been years and years and years. Like, I recently brought back one of my costumes that's all like uh, chains and uh, mini light bulbs, so it's uh, it's hard to describe. But I know that for Shindig, I was dressed up. I basically had uh, white long underwear and uh, just rows and rows of Christmas lights underneath it, which was not safe because I was skating around in beer and I was plugged in the electrical cord, and that was that was. I'm survived. I'm, I'm surprised I survived to this day. Now, where do you get your costumes? One of them looked to be like a diver's helmet. Was that a vintage diver's helmet, or did you make that? That was paper mache. I don't think I could carry around a 50-pound uh, antique diving helmet on stage for 45 minutes. I think I would, I would, I would be killed. Although you have thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, you know, we do, we do test runs. So do you go uh, yeah. into antique stores and look for stuff? <laughs> 
Uh, no, mostly just look at pictures online and, and try our best. But uh, this time uh, we're dressed up. Uh, we've got another sea life motif. We're all dressed up as different uh, creatures of the sea. I've got a great, fantastic octopus costume that just got finished today. So I'm very excited about letting it lo- loose on the world. How about driving to a gig and say, like, you've forgotten your costumes? What's the quickest that you've generated costumes, like, at last minute? Do you have any hints for bands that are looking for costumes at the last minute? You mentioned the long underwear. That sounds like a pretty good one. How about going to a gig? What's the last minute sort of costume you've had to come up with? Uh, I guess from my past experiences, the best advice I would give would be a roles of... Um of uh, aluminum foil make great impromptu robot costumes. And alternately, if you can get a melon cut it in half and put it on your head like a helmet, you are solid gold. Well, you just described the McCrackens, and you also described the band Supernova from <laughs> California, not the heavy metal band Supernova, part of that big TV contest. They were, like, sponsored by Reynolds Rap or something like that. They were actually sponsored by Reynolds Rap, and they would, like, hand it out to people before the gigs, aluminum foil. Oh, they totally sold out, man. How about tonight, Torin, from Darkest of the Hillside Thickets at the War Memorial Gymnasium? Would you sell out at all, though, to Reynolds Rap? That's pretty cool to sell out to Reynolds Rap, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I would do it in a heartbeat. Actually, I may be totally lying. I think they tried to get sponsored, but they weren't allowed to be accepted. But that would be, like, the best thing to be, like, selling out to. Tonight at the Anime Evolution, what will you be dressed as specifically? You mentioned, like, undersea sort of creatures. Are they inspired by any anime? Um, well, you know, I think that Japan has a great history of giant tentacled monsters uh, rampaging through uh, Tokyo. So I think uh, that's probably as close as we're going to get. For people coming to an anime festival, what are they going to see? Like, have you played an anime festival before? You've played a few things. Like, you played, like, a Star Trek convention, PAX convention? Yeah, we played uh, Cthulhu Palooza a couple years ago. We played at uh, HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Dragon Con, Gen Con. Um, expect a lot of nerdiness, and, uh, and that's a good thing. Well, anybody specific that you're looking for, you're going to have your old booth set up there, Torin. And where's your booth going to be? Uh, it's going to be in the Artist Villa in, uh, in the sub-building, the Student Union Building. Uh, I'm sure I don't have to explain what that stands for, but I did anyway. And... Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, what might people be looking for if they're looking for you and other people? Is there other people that you'll be looking for that you're excited to see that you'll oh, be I'm very sitting excited. beside? I actually, you know, I've been meaning to go to Anime Evolution for years, but it, there's always been something else going on that weekend that I, that I couldn't make it. So it's going to be a new experience, and I look forward to, uh, to exploring it with everyone else. Is there any specific speaker or person appearing that you're looking forward to checking out? They have a lot of voice actors who are uh, having panels and whatnot, and as a, as a semi-professional voice actor myself, I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking with them and seeing what they have to say. Now, winding up here, Torn, if people are listening to the Nardwire, the Human Serviette Radio Show, they're hearing your voice. Where may have they heard your voice before, and can you manipulate it into something that they may have heard before, or will they have not heard your voice before? Uh, they may have heard my voice before on uh, Toyota commercial or possibly Barbie as Island Princess commercial. I was not Barbie before you ask. Um, and uh, some cartoons on the internet, Captain Paycheck, and Sword of the Stars video game, a very fabulous video game. I've uh, been uh, quite heavily involved in many voices for that. Now, Jimmy Walker from Good Times was known for saying, Dino might I know might exactly and of course Gary Coleman rest in peace used to say what you doing about 
uh, what you talking about with us? Exactly. What is your catchphrase? And could you do one for us to end the interview here, Torn from Darkest Hillside Thickets? Could you recreate that Toyota commercial, speaking of selling out? Uh, that's a little boring. How about I just give you one of my personal ones from our song, Operation Get the Hell Out of Here? Execute Operation Get the Hell Out of Here! Yeah! Done by Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, performing at the War Memorial Gymnasium tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And lastly, Torin, you were interviewed by Boise State University. That was quite some time ago. What do you think about getting interviewed by people from such prestigious places? Like when students approach you and say, I want to interview you for a project. Do you ever not want to grant the interview in case they fail at the project and then you get associated with something that's failure? I've never been afraid of failure, Nardwar. Well, I saw you got an A+. The person who interviewed you apparently got an A+. But I've had that a few times myself where people said, well, we want to interview you, and this is how it works. If we're able to sell the interview summer, we get an A+. If we're able to put it online, we get like an A. And then blah, blah, blah. And then the person came back to me, and I said, well, I don't know. This is a lot of pressure. I may not have the goods that you want to be able to get you these grades. And then the person's like, okay, I won't do it with you. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of sad. So they completely backed off because because they realized I was totally unbankable. So I think it's amazing that darkest of the hillside thickets are so bankable that the Boise State University would interview you, somebody from Boise State, and would not be afraid to interview you, and then got an A+. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. You know, when Boise comes a call, and you just can't say no. Did you ever cover H.P. Lovecraft, the band? Uh, no, we haven't, but that's a really good idea. I think we'd have to rock it up a bit, though. I thought it's pretty cool, though. H.P. Lovecraft, the band, they're kind of associated somewhat with the legendary garage band, The Shadows of Night, because they had some sort of Chicago connections there. So I was thinking that would be kind of neat for a cover. What sort of covers have you done over the years? Lastly, lastly, here, Torrin Darkest of the Hillside Thickets playing tonight at Anime Evolution in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We have done, and we will do tonight, The Police is Walking on the Moon. Robert Dayton reviewed you in 1995. I think that's awesome that you still have that review up on your website. <laughs> Absolutely. Robert Dayton did the best reviews for Terminal City. Robert Dayton, we love you. Review, Terminal City, 1995. Did you ever... Did uh, you, sorry, go ahead. And then he went on to form Canned Ham. And July 4th Toilet, too. <laughs> I didn't know that part, but I sure enjoyed watching Canned Ham. Did you ever play with July 4th Toilet or Canned Ham or any mm. of Robert Dayton's bands? Sadly, no. I would love to play with Canned Ham if they had a reunion. And he did a lot of art. I think they're still going at this Robert move to Toronto, meanwhile. So it's still going to happen. It's just taking a while to come back together. Well, anything else you want to add to the people out there at Altorin from Darkest of Hillside Thickets? Coming up right now, we're going to have Downtown. What can you tell the people about Downtown? It begins kind of with spoken word, doesn't it? Uh, well, kind of. It's, it's a, the journey tradition of uh, singing the line before the instruments come in. Um, but, Don't say uh, that. No, it begins with spoken word. I love that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, you know, you love H.P. Lovecraft, you love books and stuff. I just kind of thought it was like, you know, spoken word kind of. Well, Downtown uh, is uh, off of our newest album, The Shadow Out of Tim, which is a musical operatic adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's The Shadow Out of Time. And um, and that was one of the footnotes. It's, it's all arranged like a book. So there's, uh, each uh, chapter is a song, and that's one of the footnotes. And it's kind of about uh, marine biology and uh, the ancient uh, Cenozoic Age and all that kind of stuff. It's very nerdy. It's very uh, literative, uh, if that's a word, and I'm going to say that it is. And uh, 
check out the album notes for that album to uh, to get a real slice of the thickets. Well, thanks so much, Torin, for phoning into the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Keep on rocking in the free world and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Doot-doo. Downtown, downtown, that is where I want to be. You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Anardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Darkest of the Hillside Thickets from Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with Downtown. Coming up, an interview with Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy. Right now, going to play some stuff that Kevin was associated with, namely 
right here, the band E. This is the band E from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, that did not feature Kevin, but was influential to him. Gary Bourgeoisie, Gina Daniels, Glenda Nelson, and Barry Taylor were E. So we're going to play some E, the song Prime Cuts by E, influential on Skinny Puppy. Then we are going to play Images in Vogue, which features Kevin on drums. And we're going to hear some songs, well, specifically the song Breaking Up, and then an interview with Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Here's E. I make that mistake. It's Kevin Crompton on drums. How dare I mix up the key and the Crompton? And how dare I play Images in Vogue and not E? So we'll do that again. Here is E on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show. And then Kevin Crompton's band from Skinny Puppy's band before Skinny Puppy, Images in Vogue, and their song, Breaking up. But here's E, and in an interview with Kevin Crompton from Skinny Puppy. Jeez, I don't know what's going on here. I think with all this 80s music, it's just freaking me out a bit. So we'll just make sure that we get here E happening for sure. So we're going to turn that there. Sorry, one sec. Okay, there we go. Right here, and E is happening. There we go. There we go, hopefully.
are you? Uh, this is Kevin. Kevin Key. Yeah, Kevin Key calling. Kevin Key from what, though, Kevin? Are you Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy? What is the official Kevin Key rundown these days? Uh, yeah, Kevin Key, Skinny Puppy, Kevin Key from Vancouver, Kevin Key uh, Down the universe. Kevin Key from Download. Kevin Key from Download. What else is there? There's quite a bit of Kevin Keying, isn't there? Kevin Key from Tear Garden. Kevin Key from mm, Plateau. Kevin Key from Subconscious Studios. I don't know. There's many, I guess you could say there's many avenues. And Kevin Key from Scaremeister now. And Kevin Key from The Love Affair. Kevin Key from The Love Affair, the grand old days. Yep, full circle. That's where it all started, Nardwar. Well, you know what's really interesting? When you say it all started in Vancouver, it really did start in Vancouver, and it started for me, Kevin Key, because the first gig I ever went to in my life was on my birthday on July 5th, 1985, at the New York Theater, which was headlined by... Skinny Puppy. Skinny Puppy and I Brain Eater at the yeah, New York. That's right. I remember that show. What do you remember exactly about that show? That was the first gig I ever went to. You were the first band I ever saw live. Skinny Puppy. That's incredible. I'm honored. Well, I'm dishonored that you actually played. It was incredible. Like It was like, such a great gig at the New York Theater. That was a great place for gigs. They might be bringing back the New York Theater. It's been bought out, and they might be turning into a place to do gigs again. But when you were playing the New York Theater, what do you remember about playing New York Theater? How many times did you play there? And 85, what do you remember going on around that time, around July 1985? Well, I believe that was our first show we ever we ever really did that we had any production, and then we just sort of set a bunch of minds afloat in the community, uh, Dave Jackson and a bunch of people in a creative sense, and we showed up and they literally built a metal fortress on the stage, if you remember. I do. And we were using some very strange effects at that time, like a gooey duck and um, strange lit-up uh, metallic substances and uh, things that I actually... I hadn't really expected um, to happen and had happened as a result of setting a bunch of, as I said, minds afloat. So it was a kind of collective of a bunch of uh, creative people just, just coming together all at once, and it, it made me realize that there was probably a scene in amongst all this. It was kind of, kind of a surprising day for me. <clears throat> What I find interesting also about that gig is local punk rock photographer Bev Davies took some photos at that gig, and I've seen those photos since, and she's described to me taking photos of you guys in Vancouver because she was into taking photos of punk people, that when she would go to other cities, she would see people that looked like you, and she would say, hey, those are skinny puppy people. Like, you guys were the first people to look that way in rock bands around North America. That's what she thought. Did people say that you resembled puppy people? Like, were you going to another town? Did you see people dressed up like yourself? Because she was saying, when she saw people, it was like, what, you're copying Skinny Puppy? It was spreading like wildfire there. Yeah, I think at the, you know, around the same time, there was a scene in England called the Bat Cave, which was kind of starting. And I think Alien Sex Fiend came over and did a show in Vancouver right around that period, and we were realizing that they were coming down the same path, sort of. So we realized that there was a scene that was starting, and then the movie The Hunger had just come out, I remember that, and they had Bauhaus in it, and they were sort of featuring a more... We knew that the scene was about to... Something was about to happen with the scene at that moment.
And actually, we got an email question right off the bat speaking about your appearances doing DJs. And it says, my first question to Kevin is, is there any chance of one of your DJ sets making its way to Toronto in the near future? And also, if you are still hoping to tour with Download in the near future. And that's from Bobcat from Toronto. Phil and I are working on new download right now. We're getting tons of offers to do lots of live shows, so we're going to try and arrange that, put, make that a reality this year. And as far as DJ sets are concerned, I'm getting tons of offers for DJ sets. This one that I'm doing in Vancouver is totally unique. It's a concept for the Love Affair. It's actually Stephen Gilmore and I, the original DJ from the Love Affair in the day, is going to be spinning with me. That's actually how we met. He's the guy that did all of our artwork and all of our graphics for all Skinny Puppy. and our, You know, he's become quite famous. And... He is going to return to the Wheels of Steel at the Love Affair, and we're going to do this conceptual show that's going to be all about a return to 1980. So get ready for that one. But the rest of the DJ sets I'm doing are kind of like, obviously, more modern, and they feature the music more of Download and Plateau and so on. And I just booked another show in Chicago, so it seems to be getting closer to Toronto, so that would probably answer your question there. And Bobcat was also wondering, Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, saw you with Skinny Puppy in Toronto in 2007, and no joke, it was one of the best-sounding shows I have ever heard. Love you guys, and can't wait to see Puppy again, plus the other stuff I mentioned, hopefully. All the best. And this is from Bobcat in Toronto. He's mentioning you playing in Toronto in 2007. In the media recently, I saw a reference to Skinny Puppy doing a show in 1985 at the Cat Club in New York City, and a person commented in Entertainment Weekly that it was the loudest show they ever heard. Do you you remember doing a real loud show in New York City, 1985, at the Cat Club, and how would that compare to loudness to the 2007 Skinny Puppy Toronto show? Well, you know... Um, we've always been known for loudness, I believe. Um, Dave Ogilvie has always been one to push the limits of all the sound systems we ever played, and um, we continue that tradition with uh, our man out front now, Mr. Ken Marshall. And I was told in, the, in Toronto at the Cool House where we played that there was the actual, some, sometimes like 28 sub-bass bins, so I realized that the, the, uh, the system was rather large that night. So yeah, it, it, it probably would have been rather loud. Bobcat was wondering, there, Kevin Key, about Nash the Slash. He said he saw Nash the Slash in Toronto, and Nash the Slash mentioned that when he played in Vancouver many years ago, he played with you guys. Do you remember that at all, Nash the Slash? Yeah, of course I remember Nash the Slash, and I've spoken with him many times. Um, We've never actually physically played together, but, I mean, I believe we played closer nearby on the same bill one time. I mean, I've definitely attended a couple of his shows in the day. Oh, this is what he said. Sorry. Teenagers, I guess being you, told him that he was influenced to them and these young guys turned out to be the ones in Skinny Puppy. So you must have told Nash Slash that you were going to form the Skinny Puppy and you did. <laughs> uh, I, I must have. I, I mean, I definitely have met Nash the Slash at one point, that's for sure. Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, going back to the punk rock angle, I find it fascinating that Skinny Puppy were the first, the first Canadian band on Sub Pop Records. Yeah, that's right. You were on the Sub Pop 100 compilation, Church in Hell, and I think it's really neat how you've kind of held on to that all these years, Kevin, because years later, you got Spencer Eldon, the naked kid from the Nirvana cover, Sub Pop, etc., when I was a Geffen release, but still Nirvana, to be on the cover of your Dragon Experience record. What can tell the people about that? You're getting Spencer Eldon, the Nirvana kid. 
Yeah, well, it turned out that my girlfriend is a uh, is a. Uh, was babysitting him for a while, and then we were watching him grow up. And when he when he turned about seven years old, uh, we realized, you know, hey, you, he was talking about things, and you know, we realized, hey, would you like to do that again? And he was like, yes. So we we formulated the idea to do another cover. And now he's um he's he's considerably older, and um, he's become quite a uh, quite an artist. I believe online you can uh, Google him, and you can see some of his new paintings. He's become like a, a junior Jim Cummings. Caller, are you there? Yeah, I are. Go ahead to Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, Hans. Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy. This is Hans von Klaus here. Listen, uh, it's a funny thing that Nardwar said that's the first geek he ever saw alive. You know, I came to Canada in 1986, and I was just so depressed because the radio is so fucked up, was in this town, so commercial, so bad. And then I just tuned into, uh, what was this, David Wisdom, like a night, night, night show, and the first thing I heard was a skinny puppy and David Sylvian. And I said, oh, well, maybe, maybe there's a hope for this town, you know? And that was the first time I heard you, and that, that I thought that's a cool thing, and I never heard you before. That was in what country? Uh, here in Vancouver, David Wisdom had used to have a show at night, I think it was called Pearl, Pearl of Wisdom. It was called Nightlines. Oh, there, there you go, there you go. The caller was... And, and, and you, know, I, you know, I just was look, listening to the radio, and I was so much shit around. And then I hear this, David Sylvian, and then I hear Skinny Puppy. I didn't know who uh, that was his Skinny Puppy. But, you know, I, that was something that I really liked. And I said, well, maybe there is a hope. Maybe there's finally some good remedy. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I hear you guys on CITR, and that thing started from there. So thank you, Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy, for, you know, giving hope to Radio Waves. Hey, thank you. Well, thanks so much, Hans, and do do the loot do. I have one do, more question. Do. Oh, you have another question, Hans. Go ahead. Okay. Well, if you had a pick between the, the Smiths and Joy Division, what was your pick? <clears throat> Say that again. I can barely hear you. Uh, what do you like better, the Smiths or Joy Division, Hans said? Oh, there's just no question it's Joy Division. Well, there is a question, but I, uh, you know, I, well, okay, well, are you okay? It's your pick. I mean, Joy Division is one of those bands, the first time you ever heard it, it, ch it actually made you go home and throw away half your records. Or you got that right. And you know that Ian Curtis died on 29 years ago, three days ago. Well, yeah. that's, you know, I mean, something that I don't actually pay attention to, but it's certainly always a sad loss. Well, that's coincidence, but, well, thanks for your pick. Well, thanks so much, Hans Klaus, and do do the loot do Well, Nardwar, Hans von Klaus. Hans von Klaus. No, Hans von Klaus. do do the loot do Do-do. All right, thank you. And, Kevin, speaking of CITR, the caller mentioned CITR. I have to ask you, CITR's program guides called Discorder, still is called Discorder, was called Discorder, you guys mailed some shit to CITR after a bad review. Do you remember that at all? Oh, fuck yeah. Yes, I do. What was the review that prompted that? I think it was something that Mark Machette had written. I thought it was really neat how you mailed shit and then the letter was published on a brown stained piece of paper when Discorder printed the letter. I was curious, whose shit was it that you sent? It was my cat. <laughs> my cat, it was fresh too. Just like I left the letter in the litter box for a while and the cat did it. And uh, just, just, it was um, very appropriate at the time. <clears throat> I think like if anyone from that era 
can recall, there was a little bit of a little bit vendetta going on between Mark and Skinny Puppy, and it became kind of like a public, very public type battle in a weird type of way, and it was it was kind of funny, you know, it it it, it did become sort of more of a Lucy Lucy and Desi type fight, but I don't know, it it, it sort of made it made it. I think all the better in the end. Well, we're talking about it today, and I guess I was curious, did you send shit anywhere else? Was Mark Machette of Discorder the only person that got it? <laughs> no, but he was the sole individual, the, the only recipient ever to receive my cat's glorious shit. And we have a caller. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hi, Nardwar. Go ahead to Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy Caller. Hi, Kevin. Uh, big fan. Um, uh, just a couple questions, actually. I uh, wondered if you checked out the Throbbing Gristle reunion at all, anywhere in North America. Oh, I was in Japan at that time, unfortunately. Have you heard the new record at all? A new Throbbing Gristle? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know there was one. Oh, well, we happen to have one at CITR, actually. Well, any other questions? No, nah, thanks, man. Well, thanks so much, and doo-doo-doo-doo. And we have another caller. Hello, caller, are you there? Hey, yeah, I just want to know what happened to Nivik Ogre. Did you what get... happened to him? He's yeah. uh, currently residing here in Los Angeles, California, and working on the new Skinny Puppy vocalizing. Right on, right on. Well, any other questions at all, Carl? No, no, no. Well, thanks so much, and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do. Now, the caller was wondering about Nivik Ogre, and we actually have another tweet question kind of relating to that, Kevin Key. This is Kevin Key of Skinny Pepper speaking to. It's Filmbug, and Filmbug was wondering, I'd like to know if Kevin Key would also do more film work, if offered, like Ogre is doing film work. And rest in peace, A-Duck. Who wouldn't? I mean, uh, if you're given an opportunity to be creative and have it, you know, captured by a bunch of like-minded individuals who want to turn it into some sort of art form, I think that's a great, great way to spend your life. So the answer would be yes. And we have another tweet question from GC Records. This is to Kevin Key. And it says, is the title of the Skinny Puppy album read Vivisect VI or is it Vivisect 6? Vivisect 6 would be the answer. And we have one last one here. We have from Doctor, and a question says, Dear Kevin Key, what would you change about the music industry? Well, there's a lot of things that we'll look back upon and say, well, gee, that wasn't a fair period, and that wasn't a fair period. But slowly but surely, hopefully we will get there. There's not many things you can change about a system that's already carved into stone. I would say that over the years you've had tremendous support from fans and also other organizations. Is it true that the Winnipeg National Ballet used Blood in the Wall, one of your tunes, for a number? Like they choreographed one of your songs, Skinny Puppy, and the Winnipeg National Ballet? Yeah, Brian McDonald was the choreographer for that. It actually played at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. And they actually also featured that song, God's Gift Maggot. Did you get a lot of mail from troops during Gulf Wars and stuff? I understood yes. that you did. What was that like in that time? Because people would actually be writing the letters. It wasn't like email, was it? No, it's coming from the battlefield because you can tell it has a uh, lo locale that's been delivered by a general bag, mail bag that comes in and out of Iraq. Were there, a lot, were there a lot of people following you from gigs to gigs at that time? Like, I know there was a girl called Jessica that followed you on the Too Dark Park tour. I don't know if you remember her. Yes, yeah, yeah, we used to call her Blue. 
Um, yeah, no, many, many people have followed the tours. Um, um, not as many as, say, Grateful Dead, but, but certainly enough to, to recall uh, that it happens on every tour, even still. Whatever happened to Blue, and why did you call her Blue? Have you seen her at all since? Oh, she had blue hair. Uh, basically, um, we, I think we saw her on the last tour at one of the shows um, where she appeared. And the time before that, I think she was working in Chicago at the, at the Metro Record Store. We saw her in there, too. Who knows where Blue is now? I mentioned the shit CITR incident, but connecting that all together is the artist known as Blowfly. Are you familiar with the legendary 60s, 90s rapper, 2000, 21st century rapper Blowfly at all? Yeah, from Miami? Yes, exactly. He's from Miami. He has a song called Shittin' on the Docketed Bay, named after Otis Redding, Sittin' on the Docketed Bay. And he actually collaborates with Otto Von... Chirac. Chirac. And what can you say about Otto Von Chirac? Because you're collaborating with him as well. Otto Von Chirac, Shittin' on the Bay, Blowfly, Skinny Puppy, Shit, all together. What's going on with Otto in Miami there? <laughs> He's like a brother from another mother. And it's a, it was very nice to... I don't know, wander the earth for quite some time, not feeling like connection to a person much like I had from my dearly departed friends, uh, Dwayne Gettle and Al Nelson. There was a bit of a sense of humor that we had that I dearly miss, and I ran into Otto von Schrock one day, and he just is a, just, a con, just another tentacle of this, of this family. So he's pulled us all into the Miami framework with the whole Miami base and the blowfly and the whole... Uh, the, the whole the whole scene down there, and basically integ somehow integrated us into believing that we should pay attention to this part of the world. So yeah, there's a definite collaborative effort going on now between Otto and I on future projects. Do you think that might end up on a Skinny Puppy record then? Because then you could maybe have Blowfly on a Skinny Puppy record. Yeah, actually, Otto has been on the last two uh, records playing on a couple of songs already. We have a tweet question for you, and it says, Kevin Key, what is your relationship with the band Thought Industry? Do you remember the band Thought Industry at all? Yeah, they were a band that played with us on one of the tours, uh, Dustin... Dustin Donaldson. Yeah, I remember him well, the drummer. He went on to being called uh, Scissor Man or something. He's in a band called I Am Spoonbender? Spoonbender, that's it. I knew it had something to do with kitchen appliances. So... He was opening up for you guys, like Thought Industry opened up for you guys? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I guess that's probably sometime in the Last Rights Tour. And this question came from Lucky Come Hawaii. So Lucky Come Hawaii, there's the answer. And Dustin, yes, I am Spoonbender. And believe it or not, there's a Vancouver connection because Cup Awada, Robin Cup Awada from that band, is from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, right. and was at CITR. Right, right. Your early life, did you begin as a buggy boy at Safeway in North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada? Actually, I was one of the first male cashiers at a, at a uh, Safeway testing store. In North Van? Yeah, 13th and Lonsdale. Go say hi from Kevin from Skinny Puppy to all the people up there. Maybe there's going to be a remnant. No, it was a Safeway testing store. I think that store is still there. How was it a Safeway testing store? That sounds very Skinny Puppy-ish, doesn't it? Testing store. Yeah, they used to, um, like, try out things for the first time there. So the first scanners and, and all the first little gadgets that Safeway was trying out. And then, of course, in the day, they did, there was never mail cashiers. So um, they just said, okay, we're putting you on the cashier and never let me out. And so th I spent three years doing that, actually. That's actually how I first met Ogre. 
Really? Did he come into Safeway? He came into yeah, Northland? Yeah, he came through my line. <laughs> really? Yeah, and then my first conversation with him uh, outside of Safeway when I actually was speaking to him downtown was, I'm your Safeway cashier. That's amazing that North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada has such an important role in Skinny Puppy. Thank you, North Vancouver. Yeah, thank you, North Van. I was born and raised there. At your first local gig, what was your first local gig that you actually attended, Kevin Key, growing up? Like your first local band that you saw? Like what local Vancouver bands did you see before you ended up joining Images and Vogue? Like did you see any local Images and Vogue type bands before you joined Images and Vogue? What local bands were you into? Were you into the Vancouver punk scene? Yeah, I mean, luckily I had a friend from England that uh, was in my English class that kept on saying, we're going to go out this weekend and we're going to see the first, like, I think I saw the first DOA show and then and then several, uh, yeah, after that it was just, every weekend we were at the Smiling Buddha pretty much and that's how I met Al Nelson and we, we were basically pretty pretty on top of that and, and then I saw, you know, um, E, I used to go to, you know, Art Bergman and Glenn Nelson and E. That was probably a very early version of an electro-prog fusion band of Vancouver. They were great, weren't they? Really Yeah, they were, you know. I mean, the, the Vancouver scene, DOA was probably one of the greatest things I've still ever seen in my life. I mean, I equate it to an atomic bomb blow, exploding on stage. Um, Chuck Biscus is still one of the greatest drummers I've ever seen. Have you ever so, seen him in L.A. at all? Because he's kind of in L.A., California. Have you seen any of the, him in L.A. ever? Did you ever see him after DOA? Yeah, actually, I ran into him, and he's the drummer of Danzig few, uh, probably 15 years ago, but I haven't seen him since then. Caller, are you there? Go ahead to Kevin Key. Yes, hi, Nardboard. How you doing? Go, yeah, go, go ahead. Hey, um, uh, you just said Images Invoked. Did you happen to open for Roxy Music, like in the 80s or something like that? Yes, we did. Twice uh, we were on the Avalon tour opening in Edmonton and the Edmonton Coliseum and also in Vancouver at the Pacific Coliseum. That's right. You know, I, I that you totally just flashed back and I remember seeing that uh, uh, coming in and thinking, who the hell are these guys? They're so fantastic. And the Roxy music was actually so-so. But I think you're... Um, um, oh, the singer had a, had a really bad cold, but anyway, you guys were fantastic, and thanks a lot, Nardwad. Excellent show. Well, thank you. His pants also split open during the performance, from what oh. I can recall. R- really? And what? <laughs> uh, do, by do, that was Dale, right? Your lead yeah, singer. Yeah, Dale's pants. Yeah. Now the caller was asking about Roxy Music. What lineup of Roxy Music was that? There was no Eno at that time, was there? No, it was, a li- it was the Avalon tour, so it was like Ferry, um, Manzera, and. Uh, McKay and um, Andy Newmark on drums, and uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, I, I have to say, it was the, one of the greatest sounding shows in a, in a coliseum that I still have ever heard. Images of Vogue also played with Depeche Mode. Where did that happen? How many gigs did you do, and what era of Depeche Mode was that? Uh, we played with them a couple of times. Um, once at the very first tour they ever did, where they actually just had a tape deck on stage and then one guy had a Moog source keyboard and then four microphones. That was at the Commodore Ballroom, I believe, sometime in 1981. Have you... Sorry? In Toronto, we also played with them um, again, and that was probably sometime around 83, I'm guessing. Did you ever play with them with Skinny Puppy at all in any giant festival bills, or did they remember you from Images in Vogue at all? You know, uh, Skinny Puppy did not play with, uh, with Depeche Mode, no. I would have thought in one of those giant European festivals you might have played with them or something mm. like that. Not so far, no. Um, Kraftwerk, which was probably, you know, one of my... I mean, I love the gig poster. It's like Kraftwerk, um, Skinny Puppy, and <laughs> it was a giant show in Sweden, so it was, like, very unusual. What year was this? Was this a more recent show? 
Yeah, this was just uh, in 2004, I believe it was, the Greater Wrong and the Right Tour. And that's when, like, Kraftwerk came out and they had, like, laptops right in front of them, and at the very yep. end, they had robots come out for them or something? Yeah, it's the same tour they've actually been doing for about the last four years now. They've, uh, they've, been, they've been pretty active lately. So you had Terry McBride as a manager for a while. Did Skinny Puppy ever get managed by Terry McBride? Yes, of course, right? Yes, Terry uh, also, you know, started Network and was, was very instrumental in probably helping the whole, the whole Vancouver scene rise up. Because I was thinking before Terry, there was Kim Clark Chapness. He was your manager. The manager. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy, Kim Clark Chapness. I miss him. Because he also managed a local band called The Fourth Floor. Do you remember them from West Vancouver, BC, sure. Canada? Sure. They were like one of the bands that was severely influenced by you, I think, maybe. Well, or maybe not, but they definitely paved their own way. They were really good. And I guess what I was curious about was the influence of Skinny Puppy there, Kevin Key. It seems to still be everywhere. I interviewed a band a couple weeks ago called Abe Vagoda. They're from Los Angeles, where you're living right now. And they were talking about their Skinny Puppy t-shirts. And I've seen Skinny Puppy t-shirts everywhere. How come there were so many Skinny Puppy t-shirts? Is that because you guys sold a lot of shirts, i.e., you didn't just sell one shirt you sold a lot of designs like a kid would go to a gig and have to buy all nine of the designs yeah that does happen with us uh if we have eight shirts some people have to seemingly buy all eight were you one of the first bands to do that to have like nine different styles of t-shirts in the on the two dark park tour i think uh that was that was a pretty new idea uh, we had 12 different types of shirts and, uh, yeah, I think that that was a pretty different idea at that time. Because basically, skinny puppy shirts are like the ultimate symbol of cool undergroundness in the mid to late 80s and still are. Like, it's still continuing on. Who have you seen wearing skinny puppy shirts? Um, it, yeah, it just has been surprising as to where they've actually been. Where I mean, I, they show up everywhere. But, you know, the person that really has to get credit for designing what could be considered an all-time classic thing is Jim Cummings. I mean, I Brain Eater was a guy that I knew was going to nail a T-shirt design that would become like something that would be very, very symbolic and iconic. And to this day, people like you know that's what they covet this: the Two Dark Park Live shirt or the Last Ride shirt. Like it's like you know a piece of artwork. And so I, I really think that. I've heard a trillion stories about T-shirts, i got to say, about them. People like, talk about them like they're alive, so it's kind of funny. Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, did Skinny Puppy T-shirts keep network records going in the early years? T-shirts I don't know about, but definitely CD sales. I thought it was the T-shirts that really kept Skinny Puppy, you know, Skinny Puppy's T-shirt sales really kept network going. Well, you know, I... That's something that maybe Terry and I sit down one day and have a beer about. I don't really know too much about that side right now. We were so young and naive. We, we, we're definitely victims of signing what I consider to be, you know, one of those the world's worst contracts. And I think, like, what's kind of sad is that, you know, as a victim of, of not studying and getting a lawyer and, and making sure we didn't have a contract that had about a bunch of these, like, forever clauses and so on, we, we sort of fell into this situation. So we, what we tried to do is let bygones be bygones and let the water go into the bridge and just, like, let that go and, like, you know, move on. And I think that for now I know that, like, for the first, you know, seven years of Networks thing, and they were devoted to the underground and electronics and, and really, really supported it well. And then obviously when Sarah came along, that there was a, a, a really good need to focus on a new style of music, and I believe they probably did the, the, the right thing at the time. And then later, we're, we've just sort of learned, you know, 
everyone learns in, in retrospect, you know, how you maybe could have done it better or what, what you maybe should have investigated or looked into. And so maybe there's a big story here underneath, but I don't really know what the, what the actual truth of the matter might be, but it's a mystery. Have you talked to Terry at all recently or in the past little while? Do you ever talk to him? Well, unfortunately, I tried to extend a communication to network and be on a, you know, on a familiar, friendly level, but for some reason... Um, we just we just don't speak very often. I mean, it's very very uncommon to receive any communication from from them in any way. So I really I really don't know why. I, I haven't you know really been in Vancouver a lot for about nine years. So I can't really say that it's it's you know it's a, it's something that I should, maybe should go down and visit or something. But we'll see. Now speaking of Terry and stuff, he's going to branch in some interesting things. He has like some yoga studios now. Do you know that he's into yoga now? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> he's got some yoga studios that he's running. And also, you know, he's been managing the Bare Naked Ladies and stuff. They have their own ice cream. Did you hear about that? <laughs> no, I, no, I didn't hear about that. There's the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. If I had a million dollars, Ben and Jerry's have named an ice cream after the Bare Naked Ladies. And I guess I was just thinking back, were Skinny Puppy ever asked to endorse any products? You know, diet food, pet food, anything like that? <laughs> No, I don't think Terry was actually thinking that far ahead. I believe if he possibly was, I mean, I think Terry has a really good business sense, and he's, that's probably Terry thinking, thinking really, really well for them. Uh, I think that, you know, Skinny Puppy definitely could have been marketed to many different avenues, but I, we just remained in the music department. <laughs> Caller, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead to Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy. Hey, Kevin, uh, good to talk to you. Hope things are good in L.A. Uh, question, major early influences, you say more with the British punk scene or more the uh, the L.A. kind of scene or even New York to throw that in? Well, I mean, at certain times you go through certain periods and, you know, it's a growing thing. The first concert I ever saw was the, in Quad at Pacific Coliseum, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. I think that was like 1975 or 76. And they, they squeezed like 26,000 people in there and there was people smoking so much pot that you couldn't even see the scoreboard. What a great concert that was. Had my T-shirt over my face the whole time. And I was, I was like only 13 years old. So I could say that was a pretty huge influence to see a band tripping out like on the first show that I ever saw. Hey, Nardware, ring a bell there. Exactly. July 5th, 1985, the first show go. I ever saw, linking yeah. all together. Any other questions at all, caller? Uh, yeah, uh, best early show on record in your mind that really sticks out influential wise well july 5th 1985 the show they played for me <laughs> obviously oh um, you can remember too good <laughs> uh david bowie at the pacific coliseum station to station tour had an idea that he wanted Kraftwerk as their opening act and, and they couldn't make it so instead he played the album radioactivity at like as though they were there level and showed salvador valleys and Shendalu on a screen and that was it for me i, I just practically pooed myself where was that and what year would have that been 76 station to station tour pacific coliseum vancouver canada well thanks so much caller and doot doot a loot do Somebody emailed in a John saying, what is the story behind the Expo 86 gig? Did you play Expo 86? Because I know Einstein Neubotten played Expo 86. I don't remember you. Did you play Expo 86? Well, the reason that Einstein Zendi Neubotten and Test Department played at Expo 86 is because both Kevin Ogilvie and myself actually worked behind the scenes in the entertainment division of Expo 86 for the duration of that festival with uh, Myra Davies and David Hauka. 
basically we sort of slipped in a couple of very modern acts and the intention was to have a Vancouver week to follow it up. And Slow, the lovely band Slow, which I, I actually very, very, I love Tom and I love Ham and, and, and you, you actually... know, I really, I really love these guys. They came on and they decided they were going to play, I believe it was BC Day, and they decided to pull their pants down and I believe Tom urinated on the stage and that was it. The festival, the festival for the whole rest of the week was shut down and Skinny Puppy had intended on playing at the end of that week. So we did have a huge show planned, a very huge, probably the hugest show that we had ever planned. Um, along the uh, the guys of the uh, Expo 86 um, production crew that had worked with us throughout the entire time. Each person had an expertise. We had one guy that was a, you know, a bomb specialist. We had one person that was props, and we had pe people that was going to be like 15 dogs and 25 people. You know, it was a really big show, and so basically it would be the show that never happened that went down, that never went down. And there was no hard feelings towards Slow or Ham because Ham turned up in a band, Tank Hog, who you took on tour with you for the Two Dark Park tour. Yeah, we love Tom and we love Ham and we love all, all those guys. However, it was kind of interesting for Tank Hog opening up for you guys on that tour, possibly one of your biggest tours ever, because didn't Shane of Tank Hog get stabbed in the ass at one of your gigs in Miami? Yeah, he did, and uh, it kind of uh, flavored that whole evening. Everyone was, was running around kind of frightened that we were all going to get murdered. What was that particular tour like? That was the tour when, like, Ogre would come out on stilts and stuff like that. That was really neat, wasn't it? What were those stilts? I believe they were painter's stilts that he had adapted in some way. Uh, a friend of uh, his in Vancouver, I'm trying to remember the name right now, who's a hydraulic specialist, basically developed um, some painter arms that had hydraulic controls, and so he could become like a, a spider-type creature. And he used to, do, yeah, he used to become several creatures during, well, many of the shows Ogre has liked to become creatures. You actually had semis on that tour, didn't you? Skinny puppy yeah. and semis, like big semis, right? Yeah, we did, yeah. On a particular tour that was going on and going back and forth, you had Sarah McLaughlin's road manager as your road manager, but this is before Sarah McLaughlin got this road manager. Did the Sarah McLaughlin road manager give up on the Skinny Puppy tour and then go to Sarah because it was a bit easier? No, he was hired uh, logically because he did just such a good job with Skinny Puppy that obviously he would work his way up within that, the framework of that company. Did you ever party with the Grapes of Wrath or Sarah McLaughlin in those early network days at all, Kevin Key? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Sarah, as a matter of fact, how she actually met Network was our catering girl when we first played in Halifax and she passed a demo tape on to Mark Jowett. That was the ground zero. You created the monster that is Sarah McLaughlin then, their skinny puppy indirectly, wasn't it? Or her cooking skills. Baboon, do you still have a PCM digital delay lexicon? Yeah, PCM 41, one of the greatest digital delays ever made. How close have you come to losing that? Or have you ever lost it? Or how many have you bought? Mm -hmm. Well, we've gone through two, uh, two or three. I have one that I now don't travel with because they can get broken pretty easily. And, um, yeah, many people have asked, like, what is the sound of Skinny Puppy, would you say? Well, the thing that prob probably was the, the, you know, one of the, the original ingredients, the salt or the pepper. And, and I definitely say the lexicon PCM41 is a very important place in Skinny Puppy's history. Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, I was just curious about Chud. You guys getting arrested for operating on a stuffed animal. How did that happen? How could you get arrested for operating on a stuffed animal? 
I don't know. I, I actually thought that night was like some sort of weird bad dream because it, nothing logical made sense that night. You could explain something, and it was like, put your hands out, asshole. What? Uh, but you don't understand. Shut up. Get on the floor. What? Oh, what? <laughs> and when we were taken through the crowd, the comments that those Cincinnati police officers made were the, were the equivalent of what I heard to be some of the most discriminating racist comments I'd ever heard. And after that, I actually heard that Cincinnati was kind of like, in a weird way, it's kind of like, you know, a corrupt underground sort of force running their police department, I heard, and has since been changed. But maybe someone out there who's listening in Cincinnati might be able to know exactly what I'm talking about during that time period. It was pretty crazy. Chud was really important, wasn't he? Chud for Skinny Puppet. Like, you lost Chud. What was Chud for people who don't know? It was a stuffed ant. It was important. Like, you lost Chud and had to get Chud back. Yeah, the movie, the, there's a movie based on, there should be a movie based on the night that Chud was stolen from the St. Andrews Hall in Detroit, which is actually the location where Eminem was starting hit out just downstairs, his whole thing around, just, just around, a little bit after, probably weird, it's in that same locale, so anyways, Chud was stolen from the venue, and he was an important part of the show, it was like a custom-built thing, dog creature that Ogre used to do a simulated vivisect type of experiment on, but to express to people that this was happening. And um, we somehow got a one-word clue as to who might have taken the dog, but we didn't know the name. And anyways, throughout the entire night, uh, driving back and forth through the whole eight-mile region, uh, six hours later, we ended up getting the dog back and getting it back from the person and from their car out in front of their house and then getting it back to the bus. Just as the bus was about to leave, got on the bus, slept, got up, went and did the show in Cincinnati, and then the police came backstage and wanted to know about the dog. And then that's why we were like, wait, wait, what do you want to know about the dog? <laughs> it took us all night to just get this dog back. First, what do you want to know? And so that's why I think it, it got really like blown into another world, a whole other story. You mentioned a bit about police and stuff there. Just lastly, lastly, lastly here, Kevin Key, thanks for your time here live on the Nerdwater Human Serviette Radio Show. What about visuals? Your visuals of Skinny Puppy were amazing. What was that visual that you had of, like, high-impact head injuries on apes? That was an amazing movie. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, certain people have gone above and beyond to display visuals uh, with, with Puppy, in a sense, as part of the whole impact. And, you know, I think Gary Smith was responsible for that tour, uh, a guy who was, uh, has gone on to be, you know, an assistant director in many films made in Vancouver, also previously in Images in Vogue. Um, Nowadays, we're working with Tim Hill, another Vancouverite, who is also like a psychedelic, classic genius visualist. And I just think that the visual artists always should be given as much credit as anybody else. They're really, really traveling, traveling um, people that are partaking in the show in the same way as, as, as we play, that, you know, they're partaking. Is that in what the, In the day, sorry, I just wanted to say that, you know, Al Nelson from Hilton, uh, the punk rock scene, um, basically used to travel with about five or seven 
projectors and painlessly go through the venues and set up these loops in the projectors and have them playing and he would cross fade with pieces of paper that he'd string on up, up with tape over the ceiling and everything. It was, it was unbelievable the amount of work that he used to go through in those old days, like in the 80s, to do those shows. Is that what got Tipper Gore from the PMRC mad at you? Why was Tipper Gore mad at you? Was it through your visuals or was it for your lyrics or what was Tipper Gore upset about Skinny Puppy? Well, I think there was a period where just anybody that, that represented, like, the dark morals had to be, you know, stamped. And I think that she... I, I, didn't, I didn't know if there was a direct, uh, a direct reason. Kind of like how when the Dig It video got banned on Much Music, they thought that we were sending subliminal messages in the two bars on the top and bottom of the screen. Which is something you would love to do if you'd actually thought of that, but you never thought of doing that, right? Like, you would have done it for sure. Thank you, Much Music, for the idea. Did you actually ever use that idea? No, no, we never did, uh, but um, it was nice to get blamed for it, though. Kevin Keith, did you ever make it to Forrest Ackerman's house? You know, Forrest Ackerman, a legendary monster yes. guy. Yes, I did. I, I visited with him a few times with Ogre, who was a very good friend of Forrest until he passed away just this year. Because I never made it there. What did I miss? Is there still a chance to be able to go to his house? What happened? You know, I don't know what the state of it is now. I believe maybe his son or something else, maybe possibly something to do it. Ogre would be able to answer that more clearly. But uh, what you would see there was basically, you know, the earliest props of, like, uh, the, the, like uh, uh, just unbelievable uh, collection of horror, uh, imp you know, props and stories and, and scripts and unbelievable stuff. And that's kind of what I wanted to think about was happy stuff with Skinny Puppy. For instance, like Dwayne, he was really into remote control cars, wasn't he? Dwayne from Skinny Puppy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah he, yeah, he was, as a matter of fact. Because you don't really think of, like, skinny puppy and remote control cars, but I think he was, like, into playing, like, remote control cars with, like, opening bands, with, like, Tank Hog and stuff on your giant Too Dark Park tour. What can you say about Dwayne and remote control cars and stuff like that? Oh, man, I, there's, just, there's not somebody who I've ever missed. Like, it's been 14 years since he died, and I just swear I, I, my brain will not, will not let it go. I mean, obviously, I love the guy as a brother, but, like, it's it's a daily thing for me, you know. I mean, it's it, it's it's a thing that I, I have to keep him, you know, alive in my mind and just be happy. But Dwayne is such a great guy, and such a great spirit, and you know, all of the things that I remember, like yeah, I see remote control cars or, or video games of any kind, or or just basically just his general spirit. It was just so soothing and and so inspirational. I learned so much from Dwayne. He's such an amazing composer and such an amazing technical genius. It's just so you know, sadly missed, but. One thing I realize is that when, you're, when you have time spent and you appreciate the time and you look back on it and you see that you, there's nothing more that you can do, you just have to do nothing more than, except learn from it and just live from what I learned from the master. So that's, that's how I live my life now. Actually, I saw some videos of that, like you guys on Soundproof or maybe even playing at the Pit Pub, and it was amazing. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have a song that went, no, 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 Thanks, Nardwell. That's uh, that's that's what I was thinking too. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was it was totally amazing. It was really early images and folk. Well, thanks so much, Kevin Key. Keep on rocking in the free world. And do 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 loot do. Do do.
don't even matter what happens in it. The world 